Hi, this is Steve Jackson. Thanks for letting me finally record. <laughs> what an asshole. All right. Uh, episode 62 of Gaming and BS. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a table, a podcast about tabletop RPGs, the miscellaneous topics of geekery. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. So that was my buddy Jason from the cities. So I was having him record something, and he was nice enough to record himself as Steve Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? I, didn't, I didn't play it long enough. At the end, I'm like, what an asshole. Oh, exactly. <laughs> nice. Oh, he won't let us record him again. Wait, never mind. Moving on. Yes. So, um, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, shall we get into random encounter right away? I think so. We don't really have any announcements. We could talk about my uh, technical incompetence with a mixer, but that would just make Sean angrier. So let's uh, just go right to random all, encounter. It's all good. All right, random encounter. An element of the show where we field emails, voicemails, uh, comments from social media, and our website from you. Um, the first one, so Brett, I, uh, I did these shorthand this time, so I didn't put in the full emails on these links. So I have to go to the websites, of course. Sounds good. Um, so some of them are a little bit longer than others, but I didn't mark them as long. Anyways. It's okay. Uh, how do you want to do this? You want to break down? Break you down. start. Okay. Uh, episode 61, Michael Phillips comments on our website. Which is episode 61, which is what we just did last week, is about dark and gritty and role-playing games. If you haven't checked it out, obviously start at one, work yourself work up. Work forward. It's the only way to do I it. I don't know how we can put it any other way. Exactly. So Ghostbusters has a lot of dark and gritty in it. It is just that the comedy breaks that mood in exactly the right way. If you want to do that sort of thing, I'd suggest a system that is built to create that effect. Inspectors is a Ghostbusters as reality TV game, as opposed to Ghostbuster as an extended joke about 80s capitalism. Hmm, ponder that a second. Uh, you can run a dark and gritty Inspectors game, but the system itself creates those tension-breaking moments of lightness. Writes Michael. Fair point. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Michael, much I think I have yet to run any RPG where there is not a moment of lightness, no matter how horrific or terrifying the game itself is supposed to be or how heroic or whatever. There's always some point where somebody does something that's really silly or kind of funny or dark humor. There's always humor in a game. I mean, that's just what? how it is in your games. Yeah. Come on, buddy. I uh, we laugh a lot in your games, mostly at you. Well, but we do laugh. So it's not the game. It's the game master. That's what you're saying. It, it possibly, I, I think it's a really good, it's, um, as uh, Chris Nizak from Misdirected in the, uh, in the chat, they're saying it's, it's a good, um, it's a good offbeat to, to pair up with stuff. And sometimes it's just a good break as you're going along and then sometimes having something funny happen or whatever it is, just a, a quick, a quick chortle and back to the game. So very cool. All right. Looks like he also talks on episode 53, which is about the challenge of killing players. And as you're reading, Michael's stuff. You need to read this one too. I will read the next one. Okay. You want me to do Michael's on episode 53? Yes, sir. I he, do. He continues. Uh, so 53 is challenges, killing player characters, not, not players. Right? That's, that's a, that's a different podcast. Sean and I are working on. That's so right. 
it's in production. I absolutely disagree that making it hard to die makes the makes things less heroic. Heroism is standing in the face of potential loss, and sure, death is a form of loss, but killing a person is not all that big of a loss. Wow. Depends depends who the person is. I, I could see that. <laughs> I guess so. It all depends on who it is. It all depends on who you're often. So keep going. Also, notice that in most heroic stories, the heroes are the ones that get the crap beaten out of them and continue crawling forward to come out victorious. The guy who gets hit and dies isn't the hero. The guy who stands up to his liege and loses his station and gets imprisoned, hero. About death in 5e, the rules as written actually make it easier to die than you presented. Death saves are per long rest. If you failed three death saves before a long rest, you die. Also, getting hit at zero counts as an automatic death save failure, and a critical at zero counts as two failures. Well, so he is correct in the, you know, in a, between long rests. Uh, holy cow, I Okay, so what Michael's talking about with death saves per long rest, between long rests, there's you get three death saves. But the thing is, is that if you get healed, I think it resets everything. So it doesn't go from, I have to look. My understanding is you get healed, it resets the clock. So, Well, well I think the general, my general position, perhaps it wasn't as clearly um, outlined for the episode itself. But basically, if you have multiple opportunities to not to die, you're knocked to zero, then you get die rolls plus spells plus 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 plus. There, um, there's multiple chances. It just it does make you it does make it harder to kill you, especially. And I think you know compared to first ed, there's just you're dead. You're zero. You're dead. People have eventually get to the you know negative ten or the Pathfinder version of negative ten plus whatever. But you, there, it is true that it isn't impossible to kill a character there. But um, I. Uh, He's, I mean, he, he has a valid point with the, with the rule itself. It, it isn't quite as simple as I may have made it sound. He, he continues, also, when death is easy, there is no heroism. Look at the DCC funnel. The characters who die are just a bunch of compost, not heroes. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. They're not, I mean, they're not heroes if they're all dying. Yeah, like all those guys in World War II. <laughs> Whatever. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Hey, oh, no. happy Veterans so, Day. So there's wow. a difference. No, so where I'm coming from, that was, that was harsh. Um, where I'm coming from is there is a difference sometimes between the, um, but between reality and that. There are sometimes, you know, and that's where games are games and reality is reality. And sometimes we need to, um, we need to be able to differentiate the two, right? So if you have a funnel and I've got five different uh, character sheets in front of me and I go through and one of them survives, yeah, I kind of don't care about the other ones. But this kind of goes to the grim and gritty component is that on occasion, having having it possible that your character's life can be snuffed out in a moment, but you don't care, you went in anyway. Some people may see that as more heroic, Um than knowing that I have three death saves or a negative 10 or whatever the case is. So it's uh, good points by, uh, by Michael Phillips. I like it. it. If nothing else, it makes me think so, which is, you know, the main, the main thing we can get out of a uh, listener feedback. So it's good. I like it. I don't like getting made to think. 
You don't like saying, it anyway. Saying that for the record, it hurts. <laughs> you can see you can see John just sweating. Oh, I don't want to do this. It's not on my res- right. it's not on my resume and part of my uh qualities and skills. Exactly. You're up next, buddy. So let's see here. The old school DM, who uh, if I'm correct here, is Randy Farmer chiming in not only on uh the chat room this uh fine afternoon, but also in episode 53. He said, I started listening because of misdirected Mark's recommendation. Oh, thank you, Randy. I must say I was on the fence until I heard this episode. Huh. Oh, that means we got to up our game, dude. It took him 53 episodes to get on board with us. We got to, because I assume, I only assume that our old school DM started at one and worked his way forward. So it took us 53 times to grow on him like a moldy cheese to finally get him there. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) Uh, he continues, uh, hopefully with less of my silliness. Uh, I think the insight of letting characters keep all their myriad protections, but raising the stakes, such as destroying equipment, was both novel and ingenious. Well, that's very friendly. Thank you very much, sir. I'm about to add a new house rule to my D&D 4E game. If you take damage that would make you unconscious, reduce you below one hit point, you may mitigate the damage of that by allowing the DM to destroy one of your pieces of equipment in play. The DM makes the choice after you commit. Ooh, I like that bit. That way it's going to hurt. That's not the, yeah, I'll let you have my, you know, ring of water walking. And like, no, I think the plus five Holy Avenger seems a little more. No, no, just the ring. No, hey, that's, don't play that's nice. the, don't downplay the ring of water walking. In one of my campaigns no. right now, it's coming in really freaking handy. Fair enough, but you get the point. Yeah. So in 4E parlance, he goes on to say power, uh, lifesaver consumable destroy this item to prevent damage from a single attack that would take your character below one hit point if you choose to use the lifesaver power the dm decides which of your lifesaver items to destroy to mitigate the damage or if you want to leave it in the player's hands power lifesaver consumable destroy this item to prevent xx hit point hit points of damage where xx could be turned uh tuned excuse me tuned to be relative uh, to the relative defense benefit of the item. For example, weapon and shields could be five hit points per plus. Armor could be 20 hit points plus five hit points per plus or some such. I love the idea of treating valuable items as a combat resource and people making resource trade-offs that should increase tension. As a GM, I can then ramp up the threat level <coughs> Excuse me, and not worry about hair trigger TPK. Lose a few suits of armor and the party might actually run. Totally. Um, I think of it this way. If my character goes down, my actions are lost to the group, and the other player's actions are probably required to revive me. That can be a very expensive resource in a tough fight. So, example, DM crit, you take 36 hit points of damage. Fighter, ow, only had 22 left. I'm tanking this group. I can't afford to go down. I'll use my lifesaver to destroy one of my items to mitigate that damage. DM, that's a lot of damage. You're going to feel this. The Ogre's Club hits your splint mail so hard that the shock reverberates through it, shattering all its clasps and breaks away from your body. It is destroyed, mark it on your character sheet, but you take no damage. Adjust your AC appropriately. You're still standing, but not such a good tank anymore. Fighter, so we should probably hit a town after this, but I'm next to initiative order so I can deal with the effects. Oddly, um, uh, to wrap this up, he says, oddly, you found a way to increase tension by adding a method of protection. Well done. Well, thank you, Mr. Farmer. Yeah, we didn't really realize what we were talking about at the time, but now it's totally planned and what we we had in mind absolutely and for looking back <laughs> a, ra- a random genius lightning bolt just struck us we took us 53 episodes we had something solid right there so awesome yes next awesome. one is yours awesome and i think to comment on on uh, 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 on randy's info 
is to um, comment on it. And I was going to say that I think as GMs, our, we should be tasked with removing as many resources from the player characters as humanly possible. That's if, always fun. If it's hit points, great. If it's armor, treasure, magic, like rem- get, it, get it from them in a legitimate way. And then it's there, fun. There's something interesting about just talking, and we're going to talk about this a little bit today, is that sometimes gear is not as easily replaceable as hit points, right? So I have a resource of hit points, be it 35, 50, or 20, or 5. And if I have a cleric in the group, I can replace them on a regular cycle. I can rest. I can do. It's something you can husband and you can make sure is taken care of. You fought long and hard, and I got my plus 5 splint mail and my plus 2 longsword. And in order to survive the fight, my blade was shivered and my armor was destroyed. Shit, that took me how many hours of gameplay? That actually has more impact to me as a player than uh, it does to take away some hit points. All right, oh, I'm at zero again. But, oh, I'm alive, but I lost my stuff? God yeah. damn it. Hey, that's, that's, that's got a much more visceral impact on me than well, anything else. That's what they're there for. I mean, you know, they're there to save your ass and... You know, yep. I think it incorporates a level of play that a lot of games don't capture. And if you implement that rule, like Mar- uh, Randy was talking about, then, uh, yeah, that's good stuff. That is freaking excellent stuff. Very good stuff. All right. All right. Uh, next one is yours. Matt O'Brien. Matthew O'Brien responds to Chris Perkins bonus BS episode 008. That was the best first con ever. He didn't say ever with an AR, but ever. I appreciate Chris Perkins candidly answered my fish slash detail related questions. Can't wait to see him again at other cons. Thanks for writing in and listening, Matthew. I remember Matthew from the con and the question he asked, it was, um, he asked something about, it was a very specific thing about uh, like aquatic escape as a spell. And he had some questions. If so, you'll get to it. If you, if you go back, I'm not going to recap the whole thing. Listen to episode 08, a uh, bonus BS and you can hear it. So, and Chris uh, took it in stride and said, okay, um, ask for some more details if I was doing this, that, or the, you know, how we would do it in different, uh, types of environments. So it was kind of cool. It was a really good, uh, it was a really good response from, uh, from Chris. So that was nice. All right. You want to handle Austin's? <clears throat> Let's see, Austin. Do you have it? Is this the, it's all right there. um, it's all right there, do man. I need, oh, it's all right there. It's okay, right cool. There. No apologies. <clears throat> Austin says on G plus attachment to player characters. I love Austin. So I do too. I love you, Austin. <laughs> So a lot of the discussion around character death, level climbs, and so on seems in a way to me to be dancing around a sort of bigger topic, drama, or per the title of the post, attachment to the characters we play. When I say drama, I'm generally talking about something where you get so caught up in the fictional events, you start to have a gut emotional reaction. So pretty much everyone here agrees that drama is a good thing and, and is basically a large part of what we aim for when we play or master games, right? Good. Now, here's the thing. Drama doesn't occur properly if you aren't invested in the character it affects. If I don't... Like or even hate Bob. I'm assuming he's not talking about Bob Everson. I assume he's talking about somebody else. Bob Generic. Um, Bob Generic. Uh, I'm not going to be mad, sad, or glad if he gets his arm chopped off, if he gets killed, or if he finally gets that car he always wanted. In short, if I don't care what happens, something has gone terribly wrong. So the question becomes not, quote, how do we create drama, unquote, since that's a question you can get a million answers to for free. Ooh. We need to find a way to charge for our answers. Maybe that's what we need to do. I think that's what we're doing wrong. Absolutely. But instead becomes a much trickier topic of how do we make sure we care what happens to the characters? Again, it's the tri- it, uh, this one is tricky since it is such a subjective and situate 
situation, excuse me, dependent thing. For some people, all they need to care about the character they make in five minutes of thought is to get excited about them. For others, making a funnel session is necessary, or they need to get some good role play in uh, with them before they can care. As a player, what this means is you need to convey to your game master uh, what makes you excited about a character. As with most advice given about RPGs, it boils down to talking about it with the other players at the table. Most of all, I'd say you need to stop and ask yourself if you care about the character you're playing. And either do what you think you need to care again, uh, whether that's taking risks or getting back into role play, or if you can't think of something that could make you care, um, can the character. Don't waste your time playing a character you can't care about. It's not the way to have a good time. One of the problems with um, this is most of the effort has to come from the players. About damn time. Yeah, no shit. Right? Hello? (laughs) Excuse me. As a GM, there's not really much you can do to ensure a player cares about their character other than provide the type of situations the players need to get invested and avoid situations that could end with the players no longer caring about their character. The second one is actually secretly the real advice, says Austin. If it's on the players to find the reasons to care about the characters, it's on you as Game Master to take those reasons away or eclipse them. Interesting. I think a lot of things we have talked about periodically, it does it does matter if you don't give a shit about the character you're playing, right? If you've got a guy like, ah, whatever, if he dies, he dies, ah, blah, blah, blah. If you're playing your character like you would play a game of Monopoly, there is it's harder to have to feel dramatic or feel like there is real tension in some of those things if you just don't care. And I can also see, however, to flip it a bit, I could see people caring more about the overall game itself than their character. So if I care more about the story artifact that we're going to create at the end, or if I care more about unraveling the mystery and like, you know what, as long as I, as a player, am charged by unraveling the mystery, if I lose two characters along the way, that's fine. It's not that I don't, I, I mean, I don't care about the, the character as much as I care about the game I'm playing. There is the, I, I could see perhaps a, an opposing viewpoint to Austin says, I'll have to think about that a little bit more, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind as a possible alternate version of what he's saying. You know, that caring piece that he's talking about. So like, that's for, that's for sissies and babies. Is no, that what you're going to say? No, that's how players, <laughs> that's how players kill themselves. No, just saying. Oh, I can't take it anymore. Well, that's how players flip tables and throw the character sheets out in the snowbank because they're angry. (laughs) That's true, Jeff. If you're listening, we're talking about you, buddy. That's right. All right, exactly. You got one. That's caring. That's caring. (laughs) That's caring. That's caring deeply. Very, very deeply. Hey, suicide's not funny, and it is not. No, no. Seek help if you uh, feel that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Joe Swick writes Joe, in. Yeah, he's Sean. in the chat room. So now I feel like um, I should, we should, we should like, it's funny. If we have somebody in the chat room that wrote in and we want to have them read it, we should have them into the show to read their own email. We're going to have, next time we'll do that. <laughs> I think we'll do that next time. Oh, Joe says he's at work, so he can't do it right now. That's all right. He's, just uh, like, hey, go into the bathroom with your cell phone and just read it. Pop in the blab. Uh, All right, read it, read it, Sean. Here's a question for the BSers, which we don't get a lot of questions. We get comments, kind of get scenarios. We get a lot of, hey, I want your guys' feedback on this. So Joe writes on Google+, Plus, link in the show notes, question for BSers who are playing D&D 5E, and it relates to spellcasters. I get that the paladin and cleric gain new spells through prayer or as prayers. And wizards get their new spells via research slash spellbooks. But what about the rest? 
Bard, Druid, Ranger, Sorcerer, Warlock. I'm guessing the following. Bard gain new spells through music and their inner reflection realization of the world around them. Druid, attunement to the nature around them allows them to realize the new spell. Ranger, meditation and attunement with nature to realize new spells. Sorcerer, arcane magic surge through them, uh, revealing new spells to them as needed. Uh, Warlock, demons grant the new spells. Uh, how do you handle the explanation of these classes gaining new spells? Like, how do you bestow them on the character? What's the in-game explanation as to how these classes suddenly have more powers? So, I would say, my first question is, okay, I'm going to skim, skim through the rule book. I have not done that prior to this. So, I would go through the rules and say, what does the official canon of the system say? Okay, great. That's how that works. How does that shit fit my world? Even if I'm a player and I'm in Sean's world, I'm going to ask saying, so I'm assuming my warlock character in Sean's world, um, how you're working things, it should, it seems like it would operate like X. Does that make sense to you? If I'm the game master, I want to talk to my players about, Hey, this is how the world works. This is how the, um, how, uh, spells function, the arcane, the, the divine magic and so forth. Um, Sorcerers get everything through their <clears throat> through uh, because of bloodlines, and it's you know they they read it once off a off of a spell book, and then they have it in their heads or whatever the case is. There's ways to, <clears throat> um, I guess, what where I'm getting at is how do you um, how does it fit your world if your world setting like my world of Avalon? Um, if you're like, look, I'm a bard, how would I get spells in Avalon? I'd be like, well, you would do. Um, shit as a bard, I would say, well, you need to belong to the Bardic, um, the Bardic college. There's a Bardic college. It's one of the, uh, the, uh, the, the many guilds in Avalon and through that and training with those people, meeting with the masters and so forth. That's how you would do it. Um, <clears throat> if you're a warlock warlocks in Avalon, I have a lot of, um, there's demons that come in. Um, people summon things up. You've got to make a new pact with a demon. You have to say, okay, I promise I will do X task for you for the next spell or a series of spells. So I look at it from a very world-centric point of view where I say, okay, how exactly does it fit to in the world? Because when I do that, then the player, their character is going to feel like they're part of the thing that's happening. It's not just this kind of, hey, um, I, I shuffle through my spell deck and go, here, you get this one, or it's a random draw or whatever the case is, um, or it's not roll a die or something like that. <clears throat> if you make it part of the world, then part of that ecology component comes into play and the whole event feels more realistic to me. It's a very off-the-cuff answer there. I probably had I time to think about this more in depth, I could be more efficient in my words. Sean, what do you think? You just you just hand shit out, don't you? <laughs> Chris Chris from Misdirected Mark uh, actually went into an explanation on the Google Plus directly to this uh, point, and I just simply said I agree with Mr. Sneezak, but keeping in mind that magic is is intriguing and all mysterious and powerful something along, along those lines. So I think it, it kind of goes into, I think everybody would be on the same page um, of saying that one, it depends on your setting Two, It depends on your rules because the rules may facilitate and help paint the setting. And then whatever that is, whether it's like fancy and magic ish, or not, or maybe it's PowerPoint magic, but I, I think sorcerer, I think is, well, 
I mean, they have dragon blood running through them, right? So it's the or or demon blood or demon whatever. Blood. Again, to right. the to the world, right? And I, I think a piece of that is you need to be careful so that you don't come up with a horribly convoluted. It sounds really sexy in my head, and it's a really neat, fun descriptor. And then you actually try to implement it, and Sean's playing a sorcerer and goes, "Dude, really." I have to go all the way back across the desert of hopeless fate and uh, encounter the grand warlock that lives in the cave of doom every time. Yes. That, 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 I'm, I'm going to make a fighter, right? <laughs> I mean, so there, there's a way to, when you develop it, explain it and think through the realistic. So if in my world of Avalon, I say, look, this is how um, warlocks work. It works like this. These are the two steps you take. Okay, great. I got that. Um, and then think what that's going to do to the games you're going to run. Does this take the player out or does it make it ineffective or is it so goddamn convoluted and complicated that or time consuming, if nothing else, that it's no fun. It basically ruins the game for that player um, that that's you need to shorten it, tighten it, whatever you need to do there. Well, it, also, fix it. it also depends on what. Uh, the level of magic. So if nobody's doing it and there's no magic and it's not common where you're going to go and buy magic items and there's the magic shop and you're, you know, armored, you're, you're equipped out to the hilt with all a bunch of magic stuff. If it's really low magic. Make it mysterious where the ranger has his own, he's in tune with the, the, the surroundings in nature and he, he has these powers, but they're not powers, right? They're not magic. Don't think of it as magic. Maybe it's just things that he or she as a character can do that is rangerish, but it's not magic. It's just really strange. Maybe it's traditions or maybe it's uniqueness that's surrounded. It would be as if you were playing a, a fighter that could really whip up on people. It's like a martial artist, you know, almost mm -hmm. like a monk in medieval, right? You know, if you took Jet Li and put them in a medieval setting where they're all wearing armor and they're clunky and that's the way they they fight right even in game of thrones you get folks that like why do you wear this bulky armor it does it's not it doesn't make you mobile and that's how they fight and that's how they're effective so it could be just that but it's not magical right it's just their training and their tradition and their heritage and their the the part of the ethnicity that they're a member of or whatever does that make sense? Am I talking? Do you understand no. the words that are coming out of my mouth? There's a really cool piece that a question like this does is when Joe says, how does this work? And Brad, I'm playing in your Avalon world. How does this work? If I don't have that sorted out, this is a great opportunity to work with the character, to work with the player, excuse me, and say, well, what do we know about the world? It works like this. I think it fits like this. Does that make sense? And Joe says, you know what? I like that. I'd like to add a twist to it. I'd like to make, that sounds really complicated, Brett. Can we tone it down a bit so we can keep the adventure going easier? Yeah, I like that. Let's make a note. There is an opportunity because there's no way in a homebrew world or even in a uh, pre-gen world that every innocuous question that has this massive blowout um, about potential philosophical or um, uh, what I want to say, metaphysical impact to a world, it's not all going to be covered. And you're going to ask a question it's a great opportunity to expand the ecology of the world to to improve it and to improve it as a group so that way the player feels like they've asked you a question they're expecting or hoping that you've got the quick fast short answer perhaps but when it doesn't turn into that you're able to say let's work out this together you know what we're going to we're going to forget it for this session let's email back and forth let's get a g plus thread going between sessions 
and I've got some ideas. Let's noodle this out. So there's a really cool way to have your players help you in the story development aspect of it. Even if you don't have a game with a player interact with that type of mechanic that helps people um, plug into the generation of a world, it's uh, it's a great opportunity to pull all of the really good ideas your players have and you and just cannibalize the hell out of it into the stuff you're doing. Yeah, man, that's cool stuff. We should we should move on in the for the sake of time. Whew, uh, we're gonna have to. Yeah. Uh, so I read the last one. All right, this one's mine. All right, <clears throat> Anthony von Dessauer on Facebook uh, about episode sixty-one, dark and gritty. I think darkness and grittiness are relative, which sounds like the general conclusion you came to. And I think Anthony may be right there. Anthony continues with, if you think about it, the average content of any game, if applied to a real uh, applied to real to real life would be dark and, uh, applied to real life excuse me would be dark and gritty with the exception of rainbows and unicorn farts getting in a shootout with gangsters or a sword fight with trolls would be the grittiest moment in a person's life if it was actually happening but in a game it's a story fiction uh and darkness and grittiness are less about what's happening and more about presentation and reaction if the players including the dm play the game in a way that is dark and gritty then that's what it will feel like also, how much damage does Unicorn Fart do? Happy hunting, Anthony. P.S. You're most welcome for the review. You have an outstanding show. Well, thank you, Anthony. And I would say, Sean, that a Unicorn Fart, depending if it is lit or unlit, would either do um, D6 damage, and it would be a cone of effect of approximately 15 feet. 15 feet? Ooh, that's a stretch. I, I don't know. I, well, I think it is a unicorn. It, it is a unicorn. It is a unicorn. It's not lit, a human. Right. <clears throat> yes. If lit, it would be D8 damage. More like an instant flamethrower thing. Yes. Well, I, and, and, and as Joe points out in the chat room, it depends on what you fed the unicorn. If he's been eating, you uh, know, jalapeno poppers for a while, it could get ugly. See, I would say it was a, I, I would stick with the D6. And then if it was lit, it would be an additional D6 of fire damage uh, and and lighting your equipment on fire. And then you would have to uh, deal with that. But that's just me. The only thing we so we went we went from a, a nice little discussion over there and now we're on fart jokes. This is good. This is good. Well, it's unicorn. It's powers. It's Uni- powers. Uni- yes. Powers of a celestial creature. 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 All right. All right. I don't have. Shall we move on? I don't have an intro to the topic, but because uh, this one is a hard intro to like come up with. So I was expecting something on the horse with no name. Or something I had that lines. in mind. I had that in mind, but I didn't. But it's not that. It's not just that, right? I need to find, I need to come together. Come together. Right now, over me. All right, so here I we go. I got Brett to sing. <laughs> no, I, that was more spoken wordy. Oh, anyway, whatever. Topic of discussion. I want to talk about horses, hirelings, and living gear and how you deal with them. And believe it or not, this is one of those. Um, um, oh, uh, Chris is stepping away and he says that unicorn farts should be a band name. Um, mm. So I, I like that idea. A punk band. I think when we make Rocker Boys and Vending Machines then for the mystery for the encoded <laughs> design cyberpunk game, we will have a band that's called Unicorn Farts. This is coming. Rocker well, Boys and Vending Machines and Unicorn Farts is a band. I We're think, doing it. No, I it's think happening. it's Rocker Boys and Vending Machines is the band. Unicorn Farts is their debut album. Oh, ooh, I like that too. Anyway, or, okay, or their hit single. Or they're hit single. It's single. <laughs> exactly. Right, so what so, topic? What the hell are we talking about, Brett? I want to talk about living gear. And believe it or not, when uh, Sean and I were at Game Hole, we talked to, uh, well, we didn't talk to, we listened to the Dungeon Bastard do his little live thing. I uh, I hit him with the uh, with the uh, Star uh, Star Frontiers question, which 
um, which was kind of a hoot. But one of the kids in the show said, what's your honest opinion about horses? And if you listen to the uh, bonus episode, he talks a little bit about horses. So this is how my part of how Brett's brain works. <clears throat> I hear this thing is just kicking around the back of my head. And I'm like, you know what? Horses and mules and and pets and things. This is just a pain in my ass. Every time I'm a game master, especially when I'm a player, I tend to forget this stuff unless it's advantageous. You're like, oh, wait, my war dog gets a uh, is with me so he can flank the troll. You're like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You have a war dog? Yeah, I remember I bought that. It's on my character sheet. When's the last time you used the war dog? And you're like, oh, um, well, I kind of forgot about it for the last two months of playing because <laughs> it wasn't there. Um, it, there's all sorts of, uh, of really interesting, mundane and fantastic things. You know, wizards, familiars, you can uh, end up with horses, dogs, mules, um, NPCs. You can have hirelings and uh, <laughs> other things like that that to me are almost a what I consider living gear in a way. They're very utilitarian. Um, sometimes players, even game masters will assign a name to the creature or the hireling will be, you know, um, you know, whomever it is, you know, uh, uh, the, the great guy, Nodwick, for example, that is the hireling. Um, but anyway, I tend to, they're like a, like this weird little placeholder, unless I have minis, um, that I drag around a map. If we do a game without minis, and it's more theater of the mind, sometimes this living gear gets lost or it becomes this thing that you're like, fine, you have a horse. It's out in the, you leave it outside the dungeon. You go mill around the tomb of horrors for a while. You come back out. Whoa, lo and behold, your horses and mules are still there. So Sean, in your current 5e game that's running with us, and this isn't just fantasy, but I'm going to pick on fantasy to start with. We've got a bunch of horses that we have picked up from various different bandits that we've, uh, that we've killed. It hasn't, I think we as players, I feel like we've done a fair, a fair, a fair, fair, fair job with, wow, we have to take them back to the trading post, swap them out for equipment, and, um, and, and do something else with them, right? Uh, we need to get rid of them or whatever the case is. <clears throat> so how do we, I guess, what do you, th- what do you think about our horses, something that you care about? Does this living gear impact the way you do anything or what? Does it bother you or do you not even care? I think that gear can be good. <laughs> um, it's a you. I don't know if they come into play that often. I think as the uh, first edition AD and D, and you had hirelings and henchmen, which was part of kind of your charisma. Correct. And then you would have them carry all your crap, or you'd hire them. You know, there's a leadership feat in Pathfinder that would allow you to get like a, you know, if you're, I don't know, eighth level and you're, le- you know, you have the leadership feat, you might get a fourth level NPC, which is kind of cool. So they could be your squire if you're a knight uh, or fighter, something along those lines. Um, so those go to the human aspect. <laughs> but when you're talking like horses and other living gear, they don't really come in. I don't treat them. Fancy. They're not. I imagine you are not talking about the magical type, correct? No. I mean, if you're talking about, um, like, you have a quasit or a, a pseudo dragon or something that follows you around or some <clears throat> mystical thing like that in the fantasy type of setting. But I've had players with, you know, like a pet crow or an owl or a, they've had a dog. You, people have ended up with war dogs and stuff. And you, 
you're adventuring, adventuring, adventuring. And next thing you know, you're like 120 feet down in the underdark. And you're like, would I, could I even drag a dog down here? Why, why do you have a dog with you? It just feels weird. And I think there is a, there's a piece that we have to suspend disbelief anyway, whenever we're playing a role-playing game, especially a fantastic one, like a Dungeons and Dragons or any fantasy game. Or even shit, cyberpunk, you know, anything, any, any real role playing game. And there's a point where you're like, why would I, why did I just tie the horses up outside the dungeon and expect that they're going to be there two months later? Because that's really how long I spent inside the Underdark. They're just there for me. Um, and then it becomes an exercise. Okay, fine. The horses are dead. We'll go get blah, blah, blah. And it's one of those components where you don't want to overwork this type of gear thing. It's kind of like what we talked about at the beginning of the show, reading through, um, uh, Randy's comments on, you know, damaging somebody hitting their gear and breaking their sword or their armor um, <clears throat> in order to save their life, damaging the gear. Um, and I, I have used in wilderness adventures anyway, where it makes definite sense. They've got horses and dogs or even hirelings. Sometimes it is a good warning shot across the player's bow, if you will, to crush an NPC hireling or flatten a horse. Um, so the giants are up and you want to, and you want to surprise the characters or drive them or whatever it is, having this walking menagerie of, of creatures with them, boom, it hits the dog and the stone kills the dog. It's, um, kind of the meat shield effect of having all of these people around you. However, um, there is the, the suspension of disbelief thing. It, it, it's really hanging, hanging me up if nothing else, because then I start if we don't pay any attention to that and then it becomes a bookkeeping thing wherein of uh, meat shields it's basically a a pod of extra hit points and extra things that you just push in front of you or you hope randomizes out the damage spread from the monsters or the bad guys the, the automatic gunfire well it could hit a couple of these guys or it might hit the dog instead of me so that's why i got old lucky with me and i think that that's kind of a disservice to <laughs> not a disservice to an imaginary dog, right? But it's a disservice to the the reality and the world that we're trying to build together. And it it just it feels so weird and artificial and fake. And it's just always bothered me. You don't look very bothered. To have a horse or a, uh, an animal? A no, to, but to not but to not deal with it, right? I mean, we basically treat horses like herbivorous bicycles well, in a game, which is fine. So here's the deal. We hand wave a bunch of stuff in, in role-playing games. Absolutely. We, it's a, there's a ton of stuff that we just hand wave. We never address. And there's a few reasons. One is, is a bookkeeping issue. Two is it, you know, that's not why I play. I don't want to, you know, resource manage stuff, whatever that is. And then there three third reason is whatever you insert your reason for hand waving everything in a role-playing game. Um, so I think when you, start to get away when you start venturing down that path with the hand waving piece of it. A lot of this stuff that we talk about is a moot point. Um, Oh, you have a pet. Okay, great. All of a sudden you're an hour into the adventure. You're in the middle of a dungeon. Your pet is a thing that I can't see in the dark and it's doesn't, maybe it's in a cage, you know, or I don't know, maybe it flies off. I don't know. Do you have handle animal? No. Well then your pet flies off. And it never comes back. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. You know, if I took my dog outside and didn't have a leash on it, would he follow me around everywhere, you know, without me knowing animal handling? I don't know. But we hand wave it. We just say, okay. And then when they, you start the next adventure, the pet's with them. 
So it is kind of like kind of stupid, but at the same time, I, you know, what's the point? Well, so here, here's my thing is the, it is kind of stupid. And the, what's the point aspect of it to me is that if you've gone through the trouble, you're like, look, we picked out four riding horses. We got mules and this, this, and this. Okay. If you're going to do that, if the whole group is like, look, we're just going to hand wave it. I don't care. Then I would rather, I would almost rather say for the sake of expediency to say, look, it costs you guys 50 gold pieces to get from the town to the dungeon. It costs you 50 credits to get from here to the other end of the planet. So you could, so you can make it to the spaceport. Um, once you accumulate stuff though, it's kind of, it, to me, it's similar to the, um, uh, to damaging gear in a way is that if you have taken the time, especially if you're a wizard with a familiar, you're supposed to give a shit about this thing. Um, but if you have horses and war dogs and all this stuff with you, it's, <clears throat> if you don't include the negative, then it becomes a free hit point sponge. And then or, it just, or, then it beca- a trap, then just, or a trap detector or whatever you want to use them as. Or yeah, a, and I think, I think you need to have the negative. Scout, in. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I totally well, agree, I a, man. Yeah. I have, I have a tame wolf and therefore it's, it's hard to sneak up on me. Well, as game masters, I think it's incumbent on us and as players to say, you know what, where are we going? Well, we're going across the moors. And once we're done with that, we're going to, you know, climb this mountain because there's, that's where the, uh, the enemy spaceship is crashed you know what, I'm not going to bring with me this time, or I don't think we need, we don't need horses, or we don't need, um, I don't want to have to drag, you know, my pet cat with me because this just doesn't make any sense. And I think that you start early with that. It's a tougher thing perhaps to insert into a game when you've been going on and on for, for a number of sessions. Like, guess what, guys? Suddenly we give a shit about what you do with your horses. Or, hey, you know, Sean and Brett, you guys have had that pack of war dogs running around with us for a while. Um you never said you fed them, so they're all dead, right? Um, yeah. But but just enforcing the upkeep and so forth, I think makes players think twice about picking up hit point sponges or hit point sponges, uh, bonus, you know, skill bonuses that are basically you can buy for gold pieces or knowledge bonuses and all that stuff to drag hirelings and all these people with you and not have to pay them, not have to deal with them grumping and griping. Um, and all that type of thing, <clears throat> you need to do something with it. So in my opinion, I've, I know I've been bad at this over the years, but I'm trying over and over, uh, in my games now to remind myself, I, I take some notes, I look at it and say, what does the group have with them? They have a bunch of this thing. Well, I want to make it cost not only just the initial go- gold piece out of the way, but I want to make it something that they have to pay attention to. And yeah, cause it's a pain in the ass to have a fucking pack mule train five war dogs and 16 hirelings it's expensive you got to find food you got to do this this and this and i don't want that type of thing to just be so easy that you can just go out and you 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 buy it once and you've got it forever it's a good way to get rid of to get rid of excess gold coins you know right if you got too much gold as uh, as we see in the chat room there is a gold sink um and it's also a way for me too. if even just if apart from the resource drain, it's an also a good place to inject story. So you're in town, your hireling um, goes missing. If you don't go find the hireling, the other hireling's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, old Bill has been your pikeman for the last, you know, five months. You don't even care where old Bill went. All right, you go find him. He's drunk in a bar. 
He's, you know, half dead in an alley. Yeah. Oh, and my are you God, talking about happened? hireling or what? Or your dog? Uh, yeah, hirelings. Or dog. Hirelings. No, 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 not my dog. <laughs> your dog's in but, the bar <laughs> drunk. Oh, yeah, shit. dog's in a bar drunk. It's a good dog. Um, <laughs> you know, old Bill the Pikeman is uh, half dead in an alley. The other, then there's a story perspective. Isaac Game Master would say, guys, the other hirelings, you know, you know, uh, William the Pikeman and the, the archer and so on. They're like, we need to find the the people responsible for taking out Bill the Pikeman. This shall not stand. And they want to go do a thing. And you need to crawl and work with and use your leadership skill. The thing that you use to buy the free hit point sink, it becomes a story piece. And similar to um, to the dogs, when you're going through town or whatever. Again, we're talking we talk a lot about fantasy because I think this happens more in fantasy than than other settings. You come through town with this thing. <clears throat> and um, the kids come up to you. Oh, this is great. This is nice. Yeah, kids want to pet the dog. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. You turn around. Fucking A, someone picked my pocket. Little thieves. Hey, how come well, the dog doesn't eat the kids? Because he's super nice. You're not going to let him eat the kids. Oh, so he's super nice. I so don't, you put I him don't in know, a dungeon. Dude, I don't know. You put Maybe him your in, dog does oh, eat. Maybe. Well, we put right. him in a dungeon. Oh, and when we put All him right. in a dungeon and he encounters baddies. He eats them. No, no, they, he goes up and wants pets. He wants, he wants to be pet by the baddies. You know, that's the other thing, right? I bring a war dog into town and a small child throws a ball at him and the child goes full on like crazy rabid dog and tears the kid apart. Oh my God. It's small components of this. So I guess what I'm getting at is I think if we, you can use these things as story pieces, hence some drama and a way to drive a party certain directions or make them care about certain things. If you get hirelings, give them names, give them professions, give them families and stuff like that. Not to go crazy deep on it, <clears throat> but if you've got four hirelings, it's not that hard to give each one a name, a bad habit, and a good habit. Well, right. I think they need to. I need. So uh, I think GMs are too damn soft nowadays. We need to freaking damn soft. We need to toughen up shit a little bit around here. But, oh, I got hirelings. They get to carry all my crap. Oh yeah. Well, that hireling's gonna steal your shit. It's a hireling in the middle of the night packs up your horse and <laughs> flees. Well, especially if you've been abusing, <laughs> if you've been abusing the hirelings, right? Yeah. You know, you, you haven't been feeding them properly. You've shortchanged them on gold. They've been doing nothing but a walking trap detector. You don't talk to them. Some, you don't, yeah, you, you don't you build don't a rapport. I ain't going to work yeah. for this asshole. I'm out of here. Yes. So what I'm getting at, I, I think I've said this a couple of times, but basically making it more realistic and making it an interaction point for the characters. Once you make it an interaction point, then it's something, then it's something interesting. I ran a modern game one time. It was a, uh, a military game. It had a weird twist to it where there were zombies and stuff, but the players had a bunch of other NPC soldiers that were with them. So I had stats and stuff for the NPC soldiers because the players were, of course, the commanders are trying to get people to do stuff. Well, they sent these guys off and like, okay, I think this is going to be a suicide run. We're going to send these, we're going to send a couple of them out there because we really got to find this out. So of course they sacrificed two NPCs. Well, the other NPCs, all these guys get just mowed that fuck down. They look back and said, well, like we need some more and need another Timmy type of thing. They turn back and the other NPCs like, no way. Nah, 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 nah. I need you to go out there, soldier. Mm, I don't know, Sarge, not with this gimpy leg. I mean, they almost had a mutiny on their hands because of doing that. Then they had to, okay, calm the guys down. The players had to go out, take some risks, prove that they were one of the team. I would wait. It, to, it I would, I would wait till the middle of the night. And I would get that PC, a nice surprise from the rest of that, those hirelings. Cause maybe they can't take them. Right. Maybe the, the PCs like eighth level, the hirelings are all like third level plebs, but I'll tell you what, 
Give me a perception check in the middle of the night. And if you don't detect those hirelings, they're going to freaking, they're going to freaking ax your ass. And it's a coup de gras. So, Hey, whip out the coup de gras rules. And then, Oh, it's an automatic hit your movement. You know, you don't have armor on, you're not going to move. You don't have your dex bonus and they're going to freaking smoke you. Yeah. Yeah, There's repercussions for your asinineness. Yes. So I don't, the, the danger of course, is that from a bookkeeping perspective, if there's a lot of it and you try to say, holy shit, now I have to manage not only the player characters, but all their backgrounds and shit. Now I've got 10 hirelings, five dogs, a cat, two familiars. It can be a little crazy. <clears throat> so this is why, in my opinion, you start small right out of the gate with this type of thing. So the next time you set up an adventure and the guys are out there and they pick up some folks um, <clears throat> to help them along, or they, they got to buy some horses, whatever. The first time they start doing it, begin to put put the stuff in piece at a time one at a time with it right you go from one place to the other you guys rode pretty hard the horses are tired oh man mate um, one sick you come you're coming one in town in the one sick two that? sick two one exactly. sick two sick one horse is sick yeah. um the other one looks worn out you show up to the end and the stable master goes boy these that roan looks pretty beat up i think we should probably get a get a healer in here to take a look at her she's in rough shape or whatever holy crap really yep oh boy sir i wouldn't must have ridden them pretty hard they're foamed up pretty good and it costs a little bit more and you got to pay attention to that horse. You spent how many hundreds of gold pieces to get it. You really want to just waste it. So, and then when they hire their first hireling, that man or woman, she has a name, she has a skill set. She's got a good habit, a bad habit, just a little quick background piece. And then the next time they try to go somewhere, the hiring hirelings like, look, I, I can't, I don't want to go to the church of Tarm. Why? Because I, it's just not, that's not my thing. Really? Yeah, I've, uh, I, I, my father was a worshiper of Thor. My mother was a worshiper of Thor. We just, we don't like Torm. There's nothing we can, I, I'm sorry, I, I won't go there. Well, oh, okay. You know, I mean, it, it's a small piece, but it helps to impact the story. And it gives you something else to deal with that makes you interact with the ecology of the world around you. Sorry, Sean. Yeah, let that, let that group have a cleric, even if they're not lawful good. And the group of hirelings are getting mistreated by a member of the group that is in solidarity with the cleric. And the cleric doesn't step in to write the write the craziness. Was well, that now I'm going to go back to town? I'm going to go. Yeah, and that 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 cleric runs with those guys, and that 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 god must be a, a real asinine god. I, I would I would say, hey, start out the the heresy. They're not really good guys. Yeah, I mean, you you, right? you, you could create really bad actions like that. Could potentially cause. A, uh, a very anti anti your particular religious fervor exactly. in that town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Want to go into the tavern? Great. You're brandishing your nice religious symbol? Yeah, I'm proud member of the church of whatever. And then all of a sudden the hirelings come around and say, hey, these guys are bad news. They don't they don't preach their good word. Oh, yeah, you could have all kinds of stuff going on. Exactly. Yeah. And um, as, as we're seeing in the chat room there, one, one of the things we've got is the the uh, sometimes you can take the higher. If you really need a good NPC or you want to twist a dagger, or you want to do something to to fuck with your players. You take that one hireling who's been with them all along, who knows everything about them. Yeah. Guess what? He's a spy for the big bad guy. Oh, son of a bitch. Timmy, you bastard. And he wakes up and boom, he's got a plus three dagger and he's stabbing you with it in the night, you know. Or, or just gives away your stuff. How is it possible that the that the vampire lord always knows where we are, Timmy? You little prick. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, there's so, that piece of that. They go and work for the bad guys and just want to, you know, wreck your world. Yep. So I think it, the um, 
I think the key here that we're talking about is if you start, it's hard to interject this once it's quote unquote got out of hand. You've got five, six horses, all this stuff. You can do the, okay, guys, look, we've been kind of playing really fast and loose with this. I want to tighten it up a little bit. So you got five horses, a pack mule train and 10 hirelings, or you're in command and you have this group of, you know, space Marines that are on your side. You guys are going somewhere. Space Marines, um, trademark uh, games workshop. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so you've got these guys, um, what are their names? Um, this is, you know, this person, this person, Oh, by the, and the Sergeant, this woman and Lieutenant is this dude. And okay, great. We got to figure that, you know, different attitudes and opinions. You can start to put this stuff in. My opinion has always been when you're trying a new trick, if you will, to do it a little bit at a time, don't try to go all in. It can be a lot to remember. And then your bookkeeping goes crazy. And then you have this, ah, the trick doesn't work for me. Just work it slow. For me, the easiest way is start the new game. Next time you do it and tell people, hey, you're buying a horse. Just remember, this is how I want to deal with horses. Oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Until, as Sean said, the horse gets sick. It's run down. It goes lame. It needs new horseshoes. Well, not only does the horse get sick and can't go on, but all what about all this shit it's on, that's on it? Oh, you're going to just put that on the cart that makes it heavier that another horse has to pull. And then you get all <laughs> this dilemma. I mean, you could... You can keep it going and going and, and yeah. And it doesn't have to be constant. That's one of the pieces here, right? Is that it is a good, it's sometimes it's a between the adventure interjection. It is a change of pace. You've been going along for a while. I hope those horses are quiet. Hope those horses are quiet. Exactly. We can kind of change up the storyline, if you will, and have, it's a red herring type of adventure, a little sidebar thing that has to happen. Um, you end up on this planet with your crew and one of the crew members who's, you know, the cook and the cook is like, oh, my God, this is my home planet. I got to go see so and so I'm going to cash in my 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 all my furlough time. I'm going to go for a week. OK, um, we're stuck on this planet for a week now. Well, great. Guess what? The cook made made you guys stay here. And I got a little something for you guys. I got a nasty Jedi over there or you know, Sith Lord who's going to mess with you or something. There's things you can do again, utilizing these folks were necessary story elements. Um, overhanded, ham-fisted too often, it becomes a cliche, like uh, my dead babies issue, right? Too damn many dead babies and nobody cares. If every time you have a hireling or a horse or something, it is a huge fucking time sink. And it's just this massive focal point for the entire adventure thing that you're going to do. Players will walk everywhere they need to go. They won't have anything to do with it, even though, and then that leads to problems too. So use it sparingly, but um, I, I think it's, I think it's definitely worth looking at. Agreed. Do we have anything else on this one, or I think we beat this one pretty good? I think we have, and we kind of skipped over a few things, but I, I'm I'm all right with that. You sure? Yeah, we're at we're at 54 now. Okay, well that's not bad. Might as well go into die roll. Might as well you, go into die roll, hey Brett. You totally. Yeah, I get to. All right. Well, yeah. be shamed on on record here. Right. Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming or geekery we want to share with you. Brett has none. I have <laughs> three. Yes. The so, only excuse I have is I'm packing. I'm trying to get all my shit together for my hunting trip north. But so that, he that packed, is not a decent excuse. He packed his, his die rolls in with his luggage. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Brett? I, I think so. it's, it's in with the rifles and bows. I don't know where it is. Oh. It's somewhere by my, somewhere with my quiver. I don't know. So Brett, in all fairness. I'm going to go beat my, I'm going to go beat my hireling. How about that? In fairness to Brett, we are recording this. A little bit early, a couple days early. We usually record on Sundays and drop on Tuesday. Brett's going to the Great White North uh, 
to become one with nature. So yeah, I'll be in uh, Upper Michigan. I will be above the bridge. So guys like uh, Joe Swick and uh, Wayne Humphrey will be. They're trolls. They live down. They live in the southern half of the state. So. So I will go into the three things that I came up, which means that Brett on the next show will, will ultra deliver. I will have to. All right. So, uh, number one for me, top 10 movie fight scenes per Cinefix. It's on YouTube. Take a look. I liked it. I don't know if you agree with the 10 top, the top 10 fight scenes that they selected, but there's a couple of those movies I haven't seen. And now I'm like, Hmm, I should maybe watch those. Uh, cool. I thought those were pretty cool and it's well done. And it's, I think maybe a 10 minute video, um, and takes, it talks about it. Good narration, good production. Check it out. Number two, Dunmap dungeon map stalker. So we had the individual actually comment on Google plus. I don't recall, uh, who <laughs> I apologize for not grabbing their name. I don't know if it was actually their name. It might've been under jit dungeon. Um, but since he goes on, since you guys gave a nice mention of Dungeon last summer, which was a die roll we featured, uh, you might be interested in its new edition, Dun Map. Uh, the random generation engine is shared, but the presentation is new. Instead of the graph, the, this one goes with drawn maps, which you can bring in by pasting in the image URL or use one of the provided ones. You click around where you want room numbers, and it generates contents as you go. They stay in place, unlike the springy links to Dungeon. Oh, I like this, dude. I just clicked on it right now. It's the first time I've seen it. And uh, yeah, I just grabbed this. And oh, by the way, here's another map. Here's one with stone walls. Here's one with uh, rough tombs. Hey, this is nice. Yeah. So if, if check it out. Link in the show notes. Um, another resource for Dungeon Masters, Game Masters, running more than likely fantasy. Although you could have a modern game take place in an underground fortress or something along those lines, but it's pretty good. And if you are the author or creator of this, let us know. We, we certainly want to give you credit uh, if you would want us to do that. Anyways, number three, Paizo. This is happened about a week ago. Announced new Pathfinder Society play coordinator, Tanya Wooldridge. So uh, I thought that was something that should it should be, people should know. Now, if you're in Pathfinder Society and you're in tune with Paizo, you probably already know that. But nonetheless, I know every once in a while they'll have somebody that may have departed and they hire somebody new. And Tanya, her bio is kind of up there. I think she's a five-star GM, which is not common in Pathfinder society. Um, and they write a nice little bio of her background there and uh, good. And I know this may be you know something to highlight, but you know a female in that role doesn't hurt the hobby. No, it's good stuff. I, I, the other thing I've, um, Sean and I have, off, off, uh, off mics have kind of, uh, complained back and forth about some of the, the downsides of organized play. At least I have like, oh, I don't know. I know I've not done it. So I'm always like, oh, grumple, grumple, grumple. But one of the things I learned from uh game from talking to different gamers there was even if you're not into, uh, organized play, the, one of the cool things is the adventures they publish. So people will get them for that, that quick hit, the small adventure thing. It kind of, it's filling the gap. And Chris Perkins mentioned this too. That kind of fills the gap, D&D Adventures League, of the little modules they used to produce, right? So they're looking at that as kind of the way to fill that space. And I think that's a pretty good, it's a, if you're not, even if you're not into the organized play itself, the products they produce are pretty, are cool sometimes. So yeah, good stuff. So that's what I had for die roll. Then uh, let's get to mention our sponsor, Michael Alhauser of Great Out Productions. So yes. if, if you haven't listened to the show before, 
Great Out Productions, Michael Aldhauser, gamer, proprietor. Brett is holding one up in the video. He makes custom-made dice bags, or you can get pre-printed ones. Um, they're made out of cloth. They stand upright. Hold all your dice. Two drawstrings. Um, it's it, go to g r e y e d o u t dot etsy dot com. That's where his shop is. Use gaming nbs promo code. Get ten percent off your order. It's the holiday season. You know, if you're playing Star Wars Fantasy Flight games, D6, D20, Saga Edition, and you want your, you know, you're going to take it to the table with all your Star Wars gear, uh, you know, maybe you can do something that's relative to that without infringing upon any copyright, of course. It's all, and it's all handmade, too. I mean, he, he does this stuff by himself. He's, he, he cranks his stuff out. The holidays are here, so I don't know how backlog poor Michael is, but he will do his damnedest to get your stuff out to you as soon as possible. So, hey, you get a 10% discount just for talking about us, so. How can you go wrong? Yeah, get it for your favorite gamer now. Order it now so you can have it in time for the holidays. Damn uh, straight. Yeah, custom dice bags from Michael Allhauser and Great Out Productions. Thank you for supporting the show, Michael. Otherwise, this wraps up this episode of Gaming and BS. Yeah, want to say thanks to our other BSers on Patreon. We've got Joe Swick, Kev Thulu, and Jeff Rademacher. Thank you, boys, as always, and all of our other patrons for your support on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, and if you'd like to support the show, we have a support page. You know, mm-hmm. If you want to start your own website, we have an affiliate link there. If you want to order something off a drive through we have an affiliate link there. We have a Patreon page. If you don't want to be, you know, if you don't have the means and to support us that way, by all means, just tell somebody that we're a half-ass okay gaming podcast and to have them give us a listen and subscribe to us. And that would be greatly appreciated. You can find us at gamingnbs.com. Absolutely. Otherwise, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all.